lock and load. This is GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Georgia Carry's Executive Director, Jerry Henry. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. The leader in the fight to reclaim and expand our Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. Here's your host, Executive Director of GeorgiaCarry.org, Jerry Henry. Welcome to this weekend's edition of GeorgiaCarry.org Radio Hour. We're going to uh, talk about uh, some of the gun bills that passed the Senate Judiciary here in uh, Georgia yesterday, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the national bills. And I want to introduce you to my guest, Mr. Joey Jones, who is a retired sergeant, uh, staff sergeant from the Marine Corps. He was uh, ordnance disposal, and he has a very interesting story that we're going to get into later. He is a spokesman for our newest diamond level sponsor uh, zach brown southern ground so uh we're going to get into that and uh see what we can do and have a good show we're going to have a little bit of fun here uh joy and i've never met and uh i think we're i think we're going to develop a friendship but we'll see um the the bills that passed our house uh, the the senate yesterday was hb 280 which was uh campus carry the only dif- difference that they did, they added career academies as off-limits places from what the bill said before that. It's not the bill that we really want, but it's a step in the right direction. Our pro- uh, This is for you, Joy. Our, yeah. our approach has always been ask for everything we can get, take what we can <laughs> get, and come back next year and ask again. Yeah. Uh, regardless what we get, as long as it's a step in the right direction, we don't give up anything to get it, then we're moving the ball down the field. And this is a step in that direction. Uh, another bill that passed was uh, HB 292. That bill uh, is an omnibus bill that allows uh, people with reciprocal license from reciprocal states to have 90 days before they have to get a Georgia weapons license, whereas right now it's uh, immediately when you get a Georgia driver's license, your uh, reciprocal license is no longer good. Yeah. Uh, it also allows right now... There is no statute that allows the probate judge or requires a probate judge to change the name on your Georgia weapons license for people who've gotten married or for whatever reason had a name change, nor uh, give you an address change. This bill will allow uh, that to happen if you are over 90 days before the uh, expiration of your license. Uh, that that will affect an awful lot of women. We've had several women who've gotten married that have just got a uh, Georgia weapons license, and they have to carry their married license for the next four years to prove who they are because the probate courts wouldn't change it, and there was no way for them to change it. Uh, there are several other things that are in that bill that we've had problems with throughout the courts and, and other things that uh, uh, they're very important, but they're they're small issues. Uh, and then we they passed uh, HB 406, which was a reciprocity bill, and that bill was um, came about as we've discussed on the show uh, previously. Virginia uh, passed the 50 state reciprocity bill and offered reciprocity to us. Our attorney general would not give them reciprocity because we have people who are under 21, 18 to 20 year olds who have been in military service and have an honorable discharge prior to them being 21 years old, they can get the license 
and Virginia does not recognize anybody under 21. So this this bill will allow or will keep other states from being disqualified if they do not allow people under 21 to carry. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and with the NRA convention coming up next week, uh, next month, then that was a kind of a, a big deal on that. That uh, 292 and uh, 406 will become effective immediately upon passage, or excuse me, upon the signature of the governor. Yeah. So, uh, and I know John, uh, Joe and I were talking earlier, we were talking about what's going on in the national news. And one of the first things he brought up was the was the Old Man Can Still Hear Act. <laughs> yeah, the Hearing Protection Act. Yes. What do you think about that? Well, uh, you know, I was telling you before, I, I was born and raised here in Georgia. Uh, my roots, I mean, I probably have more outlaws in my family than service members. I'm, I'm the only Marine in my family that I could have ever met because it's been a few generations ago. Um, but good people, hardworking people, uh, and they did a lot of red dirt racing instead of hunting mm-hmm. and fishing. So there were guns around, but they weren't a passion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I joined the Marine Corps, spent eight years in the Marine Corps in places like California, Hawaii, Japan, where firearms uh, weren't readily available. And so really it was living somewhere that firearms were so hard to come by and, and enthusiasts were so hard to come by that really sparked my own curiosity because I kind of took it for granted growing up here. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, back in 2010, I lost my legs and, and I've since then recovered, lived around the country more doing my post-military career. And now I'm finally back in Georgia, uh, as you said, working for Zach Brown and, and living in Georgia. And so with that being said, my introduction to firearms, my reintroduction to firearms and it becoming an avid owner and a passion um, suppressors were a big part of that. Um, I have friends that, you know, you probably already know this, Advanced Armament Corps, some of the companies mm-hmm. that originated here in Georgia have been industry-leading components there, manufacturers. I've had friends that have been a part of that company and other companies here in Georgia um, since, you know, five, six, ten years ago. And um, learning that the difference between this suppressor company's O-ring and that suppressor company's O-ring being included in an FA or not is a phone call to the ATF and convincing them that this partner piece should or shouldn't be regulated. Right. And to understand how, um, you know, mind-boggling that process is and how uh, inconsistent it is and how much even the ATF doesn't fully understand the laws that they're that they're enforcing right. um, is all the evidence I need to understand that this needs work. I mean, when that tax stamp is still the same price as it was, at, you know, 100 years ago almost, right. um, then you, under, you start to understand the purpose of the law. And for me, common sense gun laws – is taking common sense and applying it to our gun laws. So if we can take common sense and say, okay, well, these laws were effectively designed to stop mafia and thugs from taking over our country during Prohibition, then maybe it's time to update them. And maybe updating them means we need to look at suppressors as what they are, which is an affixture on a weapon, not a a, uh, harmful tool. Right. I I compare it to a muffler. Absolutely. You know, if, if we went down the road without mufflers on a car, nobody could hear anything. Well, mufflers so, are greatly more effective than suppressors are. Sure, you know? sure. You and know? that's the other thing that, that Bloomberg and, and the others say is uh, now we're going to have these dangerous silencers. <laughs> silencers? No. Not, if you not, take them off and silence. throw them at someone, maybe. Right, but um, that's about the only one. That's an expensive way to do it. Plus, it takes <laughs> you a long time to get one of those uh, uh, under current law. Uh, but the ATF, they've got some. they've got an awful lot of, of serious problems there's a there's a letter out where a um a string a rubber band and a paper clip is a machine gun <laughs> because you can you can hook it up in such a way that a 22 
semi-automatic rifle, when you pull the trigger, it will bounce back and forth, and it makes it automatic. Well, and then there, so, are, there are bump stops that are completely legal right. in most states. Right. Um, the ATF doesn't really mess with. And so, you know, those are devices that you attach to a weapon. And um, I guess what my point is is a bump stop, which I don't think should be regulated, actually effectively changes the operation right. of the weapon, right. whereas a suppressor does not. Doesn't. And so if we're not sure on some things and we're erring on the side of, okay, let's not regulate that, then why are we erring on the side of regulating suppressors just because of, of what happened in a completely different place and time? Right. Um, and so then the last part of that suppressor argument is um, the belief is, and the, the sound bites out there are that uh, suppressors make it harder for police to identify shooters and that they um, effectively are used by criminals. And to that, I will say um, weapons used by criminals aren't legal regardless of how they're purchased. No, that's number correct. One. And number two, um, I can't remember the name of it, but the most effective tool to identify a shooter from its gunshot one isn't used very often because it's usually after the fact, and two, even that company says suppressors won't change its effectiveness. So right. Those two arguments are, in my opinion, dead in the water. Yeah, there's uh, there's absolutely no no factual reason why they should be. All of it is all that we get thrown at us most of the time are emotional issues, and this could happen, and and that is bunk. Most of those can be debunked, and and it have never happened. Every time we pass a gun bill in the state of Georgia that would give us more of the restoration of our rights, people, the antis, the gun prohibitionists, as I call them, start talking about how nasty it's going to be and how bad it's going to be. We're going to have a bloodbath. When we went to concealed carry weapons back in, or concealed carry license, or allowed concealed carry with our license uh, back in the in the 80s, uh, one of the reporters said that uh, if that bill was passed, the, the streets of Atlanta would run Red with the blood of policemen. <laughs> Never happened. And none of these things ever happened. Well, you know, what What plagued the streets of Atlanta uh, was probably more along the lines of um, of bad substances more than uh, right. weapons. And, it, you know, it's an age-old argument at this point in our country, which, I mean, you know, our country isn't that old. But um, the idea of do we focus on the people or do we focus on the tools they use and if we focus on their tools, they'll find more tools. That's correct, every time. And, and you know, the, one of the things they've said about background checks, well, it would stop some of these. No, criminals don't call up the ATF and run a background check to see if they can go steal a firearm from somebody. It just doesn't happen. We're, uh, we're coming up to the end of our first uh, section here of the show. It is, uh, so far, it's been very interesting, a lot of fun. want to remind you that uh, you need to go to georgiacarry.org, our website, uh, hit join and join up if you're not a member if you are a member don't forget to renew uh, we need people to stand up now and contact our senators and representatives to pass these gun bills that we have in the house or in the, the general assembly and don't forget you can get the podcast commercial free from newstalk1160.com we'll be right back And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with GeorgiaCarry.org's Executive Director, Jerry Henry. Welcome back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio Hour. Jerry Henry with uh, my guest, Joey Jones, and uh, 
Marshall Parker is working our board again this week. Uh, Marshall, of course, is a GeorgiaCarry.org member. A good member at that. I think he pays his dues. Hmm. Uh, we, we, we were talking about uh, the Hearing Protection Act, which uh, is the suppressor bill up in the, in the, the uh, Congress. And there was one other bill that we were going to talk about uh, a little bit, and that's the National Reciprocity Bill. Uh, I'm basically for that. There are several things that are involved in that that uh, some of the states are not going to like if it gets passed as written. And that is that, uh, like California, for instance, is a, a may issue state, which means that you jump through all the hoops. They may issue you a license, but then again, they may not. And as a result, very few people are given licenses in that, that state. Um, if this bill passes as is, they could go to uh, Utah, get a non-resident Utah license, and carry in their own state because it would force the state to recognize whatever license that person had. Uh, similar, I call it similar to a, to a driver's license, and some people say that, that that's letting the federal government get too far into our business, and uh, the bills that I've read, though, don't do not affect what the uh, federal government can do or cannot do with uh, with that bill. Well, you know, it's a tough issue for me because um, I'm very passionate about firearms. It's a very important part of my life, but I'm more passionate about the idea of personal liberty and, and the state's ability to kind of control right. their own destiny. It's same thing with business. You know, if someone runs a business and mm-hmm. they make bad decisions, let them go bankrupt and a new business will pop up. I think sometimes states need to be seen that way in certain ways. Um, and so with that being said, uh, when the reciprocity laws come into effect or, or when they come into uh, being kind of uh, looked at from the federal government, I think the most important thing we can do is make sure the federal government isn't passing anything that stops states from doing what they're already doing. Yeah. You know, for me, that's the most important thing is the federal government's allowing states to determine their own um, laws in that sense. But that's already accepting the fact that states can regulate the Second Amendment. And so then that's another argument. Should states be allowed to regulate and change the Second Amendment? A big part of me says I don't see how. Um, So it's a a tough one, and I guess a reciprocity law may be looked at as more of a um, pulling back states' ability to regulate the Second Amendment. It could be looked at as more of a defense of the Second Amendment rather than a further uh, federal government overreach or federal government telling states yeah. how to interpret the Second Amendment. And I understand that, and there's a lot of people that say that. The uh, But it would not change any of the laws in the states. In other words, if, if you had to have a license to carry, you'd have a license to carry. If it says you have to have a California license, you could carry in Texas with a Texas license, then that, that might be a different story. But I think there's a lot of things with that particular bill that's got to be ironed out before we go any further. Uh, sure, sure or before it gets passed and, and gets into work. You know, I, I don't know. Um, I've not read that bill, so to speak intelligently on it would be, you know, a fallacy on my part. So I'm not going to go too far. Just generally speaking on reciprocity, I look at states like Hawaii and California where I've lived and New York mm-hmm. where I've spent time. And um, and <laughs> anything that um, that would challenge what I consider to be their hypocrisy on the Constitution would be something I would, I would want to look at and see. Okay, is there a way to to force these states to acknowledge the full Bill of Rights and not just the parts they enjoy? Right, right. Um, but then you look at something like free speech, right? What free speech was 200 years ago isn't what free speech is today, and there are pretty good reasons for it. Um, and so 
what we have to look at to understand this is kind of do we draw lines in the sand or do we force people or at least allow people to understand our side of a of an argument and i think that what happens all too often in second amendment is that you know and and you were just saying this before if you're anti-gun you push as far anti-gun as you can Mm -hmm. because you expect pushback and if you're pro-gun you push as far for as much as you can because you expect pushback. And at some point, there's just there's a certain amount of money that's raised, a certain amount of money that's spent, and little things change. And um, and that's what's really disheartening is that it, it's it's such an effective opportunity to lobby that we, we polarize ourselves on things that we could absolutely f- agree on. Um, there are a lot of people in blue states that want to go hunting and can only use a black powder gun. Right. And I'd love to know their idea on on what gun mm-hmm. laws should be. And maybe they would love to use a rifle. You know, right. How did they get to that point? And maybe right. it was because there's so much push back and forth. And, and I would hate to push them further away from being able to get out and do what they want to do because we're pushing laws that, that they're, you know, um, more liberal or anti-gun state governments don't like. Right. Well, that's an interesting thought. Um Let's talk a little bit now about uh, about Joey Jones. Let's talk about uh, who he works for. Uh, you are working with a a a guy that it, it's hard for me to tell you how I admire him. I mean, not just because of his fame, but because of what he does locally for the public, and and does not do it with fanfare. He does it because he is involved in it, and he believes what he's doing. And uh, if you that is, by the way, our newest diamond level sponsor, uh, Zach Brown Southern Grind, and uh, the Grind is the manufacturing company. The ground is the whole thing. Is there? Yeah. Well, um, so Zach Brown. Uh, many of you want to finish those two words with the word band, and that's how you know him, Zach Brown Band. Uh, but Zach is also an entrepreneur and a philanthropist. Uh, probably those two things first. As a matter of fact. You know, um, his wife, Shelly, says when they met she, that he told her about this camp he wanted to do long before he ever told her about the band he wanted to do. And so um, the camp we have, Camp Southern Ground, is a camp that's been his dream since long before there was a band. And, and so we're building that now down in Fayetteville, Georgia. Um, and part of building that camp for kids that we're doing is um, we've taken a lot of Zach's passions like knives and um, Shelly's passion for jewelry and, and the way Zach has vertil- vertically integrated his band where he does all of his own uh, merchandise and his own tour and, and he's an entrepreneur, like I said. And so all of these businesses that don't support the band, they actually, all their proceeds go back and support our camp. So mm-hmm. um, Southern Ground is the ownership. That's the, that's the, the brand and the company that we, that we have. And then under Southern Ground, are different products that we manufacture, different services we do, and uh, things we do to generate revenue for our camp, as well as put more of Zach's passions out into the world for his fans and like-minded people uh, to enjoy. And part of it is our wine. Uh, you know, we have a, a really nice red wine. Out no, we need, we need to go somewhere <laughs> afterwards and test yeah. that out. <laughs> no, it's, it's really good. I think the blend, um, uh, the blend actually... Uh, took up over 50% of the market of new wines last year. So really? it's very successful. Um, that's one of the very few things we have that isn't manufactured here in Georgia. It's actually out in uh, Napa Valley. Mm-hmm. Uh, but almost there, well, everything else we do is, is done in our kind of eight acres of concrete over there in Peachtree City. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so Southern Grind is our knife line. 
and um, we make high-end tactical knives. Uh, Zach's designed almost all of them, um, and they uh, the quality that goes into them I see every day, mm-hmm. uh, and, and um, we're real excited to, to tell more people about it. Good. Uh, we're familiar with, with uh, I, well, we got familiar with the uh, Zach Brown through Ben Autry up at Autry's Armory, one of mm-hmm. our other Diamond Level sponsors. And, and we got uh, involved with them because um, he would, uh, anytime we needed any kind of laser engraving done, Ben would take them over to Southern uh, Grind and get them done. And mm-hmm. then I started picking them up because I live as close to it as Ben does. I live in Fairburn. And so I would go pick them up and got to talking to them and, and learn more and more about the the, uh, the business. And I'm just now learning an awful lot about how deep it is. And in fact, I had no idea about the wine. But I did know about the, the manufacturing on the eight acres over there in Peachtree City. And uh, I think it's, it's great that a, uh, a person raised in, in an area wants to give that much back to the community and to the to the uh, to the area, it's just it's hard to believe in today's age that you've got a guy that that reaches the level of fame and recognition that Zach Brown has, and he's not worried about himself. He's worried about trying to help other people, and I, you just can't say enough for that. As far as I'm concerned, that's just that's above and beyond, and he's uh, got to be a great guy. Got to be somebody everybody want to work for. Well, he's, he's a really good musician, and he's mm-hmm. a really good person, and he's okay at being a celebrity. I, I think <laughs> is the best way to put it. Yeah, well, that's, uh, and that's good. That's, that's, uh, but again, you know, most people, when they get into the spotlight, it's, it goes right to their head, and you can't get close to them. You can't say anything, and that does not appear to be Zach Brown. And I, I'm, like yeah. I said, I, I'm more impressed with him every time I, I hear about him. And um, we're going to have to take another break. This uh, this section flew right by quick, too. Uh, we're going to come back, and we're going to talk a little bit about what Southern Ground, the uh, Camp Southern Ground, does for local area and the, the people that it affects and the people they work for. And uh, we'll just see where this goes from here. But once again, I want to remind you to go to georgiacarry.org and uh, check us out. Check out the website. Uh, all the bills are on there from this year's General Assembly that uh, we're involved in and uh, be sure and check us out Uh, don't forget to go to uh, newstalk1160.com and check out the commercial free podcast and uh, like I said while you're there join us and uh, or renew and continue on we'll be right back and now back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with GeorgiaCarry.org's executive director, Jerry Henry. Welcome back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio hour. Jerry Henry with uh, Joey Jones. And we've been discussing uh, Zach Brown, uh, Southern Camp, Southern Ground Camp. Yeah, Camp Southern uh, Ground. Camp Southern Ground, I'm sorry. No, that's uh, cool. And uh, I wanted to, uh, my daughter... And uh, our family have a, a therapeutic riding center not too far from uh, Camp Southern Ground. And I understand part of what they deal with. And I wanted Johnny to take this, or Joey, rather, sorry, to, to take this opportunity to tell the people just what Camp Southern Ground is and what it does and what the 
who benefits from that? Yeah. I mean, I know I know who benefits because I know who benefits from our writing. We benefit from it, and mm-hmm. Zach's going to benefit from it. But there's other people that benefit as well. Well, yeah. So, you know, Zach um, attended camps here in Georgia. He eventually was a counselor at camps here in Georgia. Uh, the camp experience has always been a big part of his life. Mm-hmm. And through his experiences at camp and the other campers that he was involved with, you know, he came to realize that for some kids, that was the most stable part of their life or the most um, outdoor skill-building opportunities they had mm-hmm. in their life. Um, and so, you know, early on, Zach knew that a camp was going to be a part of his future. And as the band became more successful and the, and the, the things that he does for a living, uh, it became obvious that, that uh, financially speaking, he had time and opportunity to do something else. Camp was the next stop. Um, so, you know, when they settled here in, in Fayetteville, Georgia, uh, through uh, what what he believes to be some of God's work, um, he was able to uh, acquire a, a perfect spot of land, 400 acres there. And over the last few years, since uh, about 2011, we've been raising money and, and building away at this camp. So when we're done, um, this will be a state-of-the-art camp. Everything about it will be what's called LEED certified. And so what that means is geothermal mm-hmm. heating and air, where you send water 400 feet into the ground, it comes back 65 degrees. Um, solar, it's got its own septic system, it's, or its own um, water treatment plant. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to have an eight-acre organic farm. We're non-dairy and non-GMO um, and uh, gluten-conscious. So we're not gluten-free, but when we need to be, we can be, like peanut allergy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so all those things come together just to kind of explain where we're starting from. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the buildings are, are having uh, they're a hundred year build, so they're zinc coated or, or zinc finished and uh, relatively low to no maintenance for the first hundred years is the idea. Mm-hmm. Zach wants this camp to far outlive him before anyone has to worry about it again, mm-hmm. and so that's just our our foundation where we're getting started. What we're going to do at camp, we're going to bring in kids and we're going to focus on about one third of our kids will be kids that suffer in the autism spectrum. And so that means, you know, mild ADHD to severe autism. Right. And, uh, you know, to begin with, we wanted to service uh, kids with any challenge. But right. um, then you look at, okay, well, can you provide good services when you're that broad? And this was a place we felt we could have the most change uh, and be the most effective and build on. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have uh, – we already have a high ropes course uh, that kind of models what you would do in the military with a confidence course. And that's designed to build self-confidence and confidence in one another. I said, you know, one-third of the kids will be uh, focused in the autism spectrum. Well, the other two-thirds will be, you know, kids that uh, maybe come from socioeconomic disadvantage or have had a military service member as a parent that's gone through a struggle or killed in action. Mm-hmm. And to include kids that, that just, um, you know, want to attend camp there and, uh, and don't have a major challenge in their life. And the purpose is that as they go through this camp and all the different things we'll have there, they begin to appreciate themselves and one another. And kids that have these very obvious challenges will start to see that they have some strengths of their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll figure things out quicker right. than the other kids, and we'll right. give them situations to excel. And then the other kids will see that happen and start to appreciate those kids that have challenges more. And so when those kids become adults, they'll understand one another better. Right. And hopefully this country um, – and patriotism is a huge part of our camp as well. Right. So hopefully we'll, we'll help educate and create that next generation of you know outdoor-skilled patriots that appreciate one another mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. great of a country would that be yes you know? well you know one of the things that we do with uh, with our therapeutic writing and that we've witnessed with our therapeutic writing is you bring kids up and they're 
they're introverts they they won't turn loose with their mother they won't do anything hardly and you take them out and put them on a horseback for 30 minutes a day for a month month and a half and all of a sudden these kids are totally changed they are running from from the time they get out of the car they're running to the horse and each one of the horses that we have uh each child thinks that that's their horse yeah and sometimes Mm -hmm. the problem is with some of the younger ones they'll outgrow the the ponies and they won't want to leave them because (laughs) that's my horse and said no well let's get you this horse (laughs) and then once you get them up on the other horses they go you know they adjust to it but i think part of that's because they have not handled changes successfully in their lives before uh they haven't had the opportunity to some of them don't know how and this gives you an opportunity to teach these children that hey there's another way to do things and and you are special regardless who you are. Absolutely. I think we live in the in a in a world that, you know, instant gratification right. is such an important uh, part now to people, you know, if you want something you got to have it then. If you if you're teaching 20 kids, you got one way to teach them and they better learn it and we're going to move on to the next right. thing. And what we do is we 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 kind of stop seeing um, the differences that that created this country and um, the fact is, you know, none of us are normal, and very few of us are sane. Um, and you all don't have us, to talk about <laughs> me like that. We just met today. <laughs> I'm speaking about myself more than anything. Um, you know, I walked in here on prosthetic legs, um, so I have a very um, heightened understanding of what it means to be a little bit different um, mm-hmm. and not voluntarily either. Um, and I don't expect the world to change for me, so I have to learn the world my way. Right, and if we can do that for these kids, if we can uh, kind of teach them how to live in 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 a world that maybe doesn't change itself for them, um, then that that's a big goal for us as well, and mm-hmm. and give them the opportunity to learn um, like other kids have. Yeah, and, and it and it does that. It definitely does that. It definitely gives them a way to learn uh, in a different manner. We have had uh, school teachers who have taught some of these children in school. Uh, go to their mothers uh, a month or so after they've been out riding with us and say, what did you do to this child? This is not the same child that was here a month ago. This child is engaging now, and it's instead of sitting over there by themselves, and it's just amazing. And, and like I said, I, I really think that, that one of the things that, that's overlooked a lot of times is that the ones that, that – uh, the ones that, that – uh, that get the most out of it <clears throat> are the people who are offering themselves, such as Zach, such as you, the people that are volunteering. And uh, I'm assuming that uh, Southern uh, Camp Southern Ground needs volunteers from time to time. Yeah, you know, um, well, we do our summer camps, you know, um, starting summer 2018, we'll have summer camps um, that will be in full effect and doing what our camp's designed to do. Between now and then, uh, we're doing our uh, fall mini camps. And uh, the thing about our volunteers is that um, right now, we've got to continue raising money and building infrastructure so that we can have volunteers and do things. So um, the biggest thing I would encourage anyone listening to is just check out um, you know, check out our website, mm-hmm. CampSouthernGround.org, uh, and um, and just learn about us. And if we have an opportunity for you to be involved, please take it up and come see us. Yeah. Um, also, you can come tour um, both our facility at Southern Ground over in Peachtree City. Mm-hmm. And then 10 minutes away, we'll take you over, and you can tour Camp Southern Ground as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the that's a, a small fee. It's a different fee for each, and then we do a pay it forward. So if you pay to tour Southern Ground, 
um, then what you can do is you can buy someone else's tour and we'll take you over and show you Camp Southern Ground. So mm. it's kind of a way to keep the community, uh, you know, uh, involved with mm-hmm. us. And, and um, you know, we want to pay it forward aspect of everything we do. And, and it's kind of special when someone, when you show up to do a tour and someone's already paid for it for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, my, um, my daughter has been over to, uh, I think a couple of years ago, they had a couple of meetings over there. And uh, <clears throat> she and one of our volunteer coordinators went over there to meet with uh, with the people during during this big open house or whatever it was. And I know they came back very impressed and have always been impressed. Uh, and if if there's any way, I can assure you that if there's any way that you can volunteer to help any of these children, uh, you will be rewarded multiple times. You you I cannot tell you how much it is. Uh, I know people see me and they think. You know, here's a here's a gun nut that only thinks about guns and and himself and and nothing else. And and there's another side that's been basically brought on by all these children that we've helped in their, our therapeutic writing center, and it's made a better person out of me. I can assure you of that. Uh, and it will do the same thing for you. Uh, we're uh, coming up to another break here in a few minutes. Uh, we uh, I want to encourage you one more time. If you're not a member of Georgia Carey, go to georgiacarey.org, look over our website, and you will see what we've done. In the last 10 years, we have taken Georgia from the 43rd worst state with gun laws in the in the union with uh, more places off limits than any other location to about uh, somewhere in the top five or six states in the country. And uh, that's certainly worth $20 a year to me or anybody else the way I see it. Uh, you can go to our website. You can see what we've done. We're proud of what we've done, and we continue to do so, as noted with the three bills that we have in the General Assembly today. So go in, check us out. Uh, if you're not a member, consider signing up. If you are a member, then uh, consider uh, renewing, and we also have live memberships available. Don't forget, we'll be back next week, plus the fact that we have uh, the commercial-free podcast available at News Talk. 1160.com, available for you at any time after Monday, I think. We'll be right back. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with GeorgiaCarry.org's Executive Director, Jerry Henry. Welcome back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio. Our Jerry Henry with uh, Joey Jones. Um, I want to tell you first who's going to be on the program next week and, and tell you why. We're in our last sec- segment here. And uh, when I get through with that, we're going to go to Joey. And he's going to tell us some of his personal story and, and uh, some of the discussions that we kind of had during the the uh, commercials. Uh, my guest next week will be Roy McLean. Most members around this area know who Roy is. He's the uh, president of the Georgia Youth Sports Shooting Foundation here in Georgia. He has uh, worked tirelessly for the last 20 years with high school shooting teams. Uh, many of you know and some of you don't know that georgiacarry.org sponsors the uh, Georgia State High School Association uh, rifle all-state team and BB gun all-state team. And we're looking at uh, sponsoring or, or building another team, which will be uh, for homeschoolers. And uh, we're trying to get more involved in that. It's kind of funny that, that 
we're sitting over here. People are going berserk over a few blocks away here at the Capitol because the Senate passed a bill yesterday that would allow people over 21 who have been background checked by the FBI, GBI, and mental health checks to carry a firearm on campus. Well, they don't realize how many how many firearms there are that are utilized by high schools in this state. And that's one of the things Roy and I are going to talk about. We may have to make it two segments. It's going to be that, that mm-hmm. long and that good. Uh, I want to get back to my guest, Joy Jones. He has, uh, it's really been a pleasure having you on here. And I know that you have a story, and I'm, I'm going to ask that you tell some of that story to the people that, that don't, are not aware of who you are and what you've done, et cetera. And also, when we were talking a while ago, you said a few things about liberty, and I'd like for you to bring that up again because that's something that we need to drive home to everybody. Well, I appreciate it, and thanks for having me on today. It's it's been a lot of fun. Uh, firearms are something that's very important to my life, and and Georgia is too. I'm a I'm a native Georgian, and I'm finally living back here after eight years in the Marine Corps, um, and a few years uh, serving the veteran community at large in other places. So. Um, back in 2005, I joined the Marine Corps. Um, a lot of people think that joining the military service is kind of that last chance uh, and kind of have this stigma about it. Um, for me, it wasn't a last chance. It was the most appropriate one. I was in college and realized that at graduating at 17, I needed to um, grow up. I tell people all the time, I was just smart enough to know how dumb I was acting. <laughs> and I thought the Marine Corps would be a great place to straighten me up and, and turn me into an adult. Um, so lo and behold, I joined the Marine Corps. Um, I grew up with two guys that uh, both of their dads were service members. One of them was our high school football coach and, and a Marine himself from Desert Storm. And if funny, oddly enough, I was the first one to go. Um, so I joined the Marine Corps in 2005. Um, originally was a radio technician. I, I kind of had zero understanding of the military, so I thought that that all Marines did the same thing, and some of us were just smart enough to do other stuff, and I quickly learned that's not how it is. Um, everyone has to be pretty smart to do whatever job, and, th- and they do that job. The difference is in the Marine Corps, you, you basic train. Your boot camp is the same regardless of your job, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the main um, way that you become a Marine first, um, and we say rifleman first, but then the actual rifleman and infantrymen, they, they specialize in that. So I felt a little bit too far from the battlefield by 2006. Um, I was deployed on ship for a small time, but wasn't really feeling the effects of this war we were in, and, and I felt like I was selling myself short. So I had the chance to deploy in 2007 um, to provide support, to do security, mounted security on vehicles. So I had to go learn and train to do that. And I ended up uh, providing security for something called Explosive Ordnance Disposal, EOD, or BOMTEX is what they are. And there was something about that, very selfless, kind of like firemen, you know, my brother-in-law is a fireman. He says, you know exactly when you want the police around and when you don't want them around. Right. But when you don't know anyone else to call, you call the fire department. And EOD is like that for the Marine Corps. Uh, when you don't know what else to do, you call EOD. Um, in a hazardous situation, something doesn't look right. I enjoyed that, so I, I volunteered to do that. And, and at the time, the Marine Corps had just started its special operations. So for the past hundred and some odd years, well, about a hundred years, I guess, um, EOD had been... Uh, the only or one of the very few very specialized um, jobs so that the way you get into EOD was very difficult. You, you couldn't come in off the street and enlist for it. You had to apply for it after you'd been in for so long, 21 years of age. A lot of prerequisites the other services didn't have. 
And um, so I made it through those rigors and the application while I was still in Iraq supporting the COD team and um, and stayed on and, and OJT'd with them through uh, the rest of a deployment in 2008. And when I finally came back home, I got to go to the informal uh, school and redeploy in 2010 as a full-on technician. And, and by the end of that deployment, I was a team leader um, because of uh, the things in Afghanistan in 2010 were so um, rough and different that we were uh, we had a really high attrition rate. My unit suffered about a 30% attrition rate mm-hmm. of either getting killed in action or severely wounded. Uh, so with 80 EOD techs there, we had nearly 30 come back um, hurt or dead. And um, so trying to not spend too much time on one given part of this, um, my life dramatically changed on August 6, 2010. Um, that's when I stepped on an IED. I lost my legs and a good friend. And um, I woke up a few days later in, in Bethesda or in uh, Germany, and, uh, and the nurse kind of looked down at me, smiled, and, and said, you know, don't worry, hon, you'll walk again. And with nothing else to go on, I just believed her. Um, I didn't have a reason not to, and uh, so I looked at every day after that from that perspective. I will walk again, and uh, I was fortunate. My stumps were pretty long. Uh, one of them is, is kind of messed up and hurts a lot, but outside of that, I uh, I pushed through my recovery pretty quick. I got injured in August 2010. I started college in October 2010. I started walking in February 2011 and started working at the House Veterans Affairs Committee in July 2011. So less mm-hmm. than a year later, I was I'd gained my independence. I'd recovered, started using prosthetic legs, and finagled truly finagled my way into a non-existing fellowship at the House Veterans Affairs Committee in D.C. while I was recovering at Walter Reed. And um, during all that time, being on the front end of a lot of service members, specifically those that do my job in the Marine Corps, getting injured the way I was injured because of the nature of the war in Afghanistan during that time, I became a de facto mentor to the dozens that came piling in after me. Um, And my wife Meg was up there, and she... uh, that's a whole nother story of, of how we got back together and she came to take care of me up there. And so the two of us kind of tag team and we'd visit uh, each service member room to room uh, on Thursday night. And then it got to where I needed help. So I'd bring more over and that gained kind of recognition by the commandant of the Marine Corps and later on the president of the United States. And we started this kind of program out of it and I wanted to do more. So I uh, working at the house veterans affairs committee and doing this mentorship program, I could see what was happening with our veteran community from multiple angles, um, from the government angle of what do we do to support these guys, uh, or are we even doing what we say we're going to do, from the wounded warrior angle, from the caregiver angle, uh, from the Marine Corps angle. And, um, and realize, quite honestly, if I wanted to leave a mark and change how things were being done, um, I probably need to get as far away from D.C. as I could for a while. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's not to be overly uh, pessimistic, but the real change happens out in the real world. Right. And so I, I found after I graduated from a school up there called Georgetown, um, my wife now moved to uh, Texas and uh, uh, helped run a nonprofit called Boot Campaign there in Texas for a mm-hmm. while. Uh, and they do a whole lot to help the veteran community. And I was blessed to be a part of that. I met Zach Brown um, while doing that. Boot Campaign works with celebrities to show their support for the military. And uh, 
And then Zach gave me a chance to come here to Georgia and do something similar, but on a larger scale. So not just support the veteran community, but also the next generation of patriots that will become veterans. And uh, so that's how I ended up back here in Georgia, yeah. my home state, and uh, glossed over a lot of it, but that's kind of who I am and how yeah, I got here. Yeah, I, I, I listened to some of your podcasts, and those uh, those that would like to hear more about Joy, uh, you can uh, Google him on uh, the Internet, and you'll come up with several of his podcasts. He has a great podcast called Blown Away, of all things. And one of the stories <laughs> I liked was uh, when your motorcycle broke down. <laughs> yeah. yeah there was yeah it's gotta be uh that that well it wound up he he's stuck on a freeway in the middle of the night in in texas i believe and uh doesn't yep. know what he's going to do and all of a sudden he feels somebody from behind pushing him and it's one of his friends who also has is missing a limb if i'm not mistaken yeah he's missing a leg so we got two leg. people and, and one fairly good leg pushing yeah. you across the interstate but that also, uh, I want you to tell everybody what your motto is. You, yeah. I, that impressed me as much as anything. Well, I'm very sympathetic uh, that, you know, I'm 30 years old and cancer-free. So I know that a lot of people are going through stuff that I don't know about. But I've been through a thing or two. And what I tell myself and try to encourage other people is that challenges are all about perspective and how you look at them. And sometimes you just have to tell yourself to get up, get over it, and get going. Get up in the morning for a purpose, get over whatever it is that's going to hold you back, and then find a way to get going that day and make a positive impact on your life and those around you. That's great. I I really enjoyed that story, and I, I enjoyed you being on here. Maybe we can do it again sometime. We're coming to the end of the program. I want to remind you one more time, go to georgiacarry.org and uh, be ready to help us out. Also, we got the podcast that you can hear of this show uh, at Newstalk1160.com. We will be back next week with Roy McLean as my guest. Thank you, and have a nice weekend. Thanks for listening to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, hosted by Georgia Carry's Executive Director, Jerry Henry. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Join us each week for information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 only. On News Talk 1160, the talk of the town.